Welcome to Expounded Universe, Season 3, Episode 1, and it turned into a ballroom biff. The book, Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina, by various authors. The year, 1995. With your hosts, Jeff and John. Let's go. The myth in the band looked like if the testicle had a butthole on it. Don't fucking try and explain a skater boy to me, okay? You gotta spend some time lubing up the edges and really rimming it in, but that's how Biff eat. Of course I wrote Biff material. <laughs> Welcome back to Expounded Universe, the Star Wars discussion podcast where Star Wars gets together to discuss books about novels. Ah, oh, Jeff. John's over there joining me. <laughs> We've got a good, strong start to this new season. We're coming right out the gate. Season three, strong. <laughs> coming out swinging. <laughs> it's where we discuss books about novels, John. <laughs> books about novels. I mean, given that there are plenty of books about novels, I mean, <laughs> given that I, I have a degree in literature, I know how many books about novels there are. That's fine. As long as you don't try and talk about semiology in my house again. <laughs> no, that's not semiology, just semiotics. Oh, shoot, you're right. Semiology is a completely different field. Yeah. I think semiology is the bullshit version of semiotics, isn't it? Yeah, semiology is when it's like, you know, everything is made up in bullshit and we'll, we'll talk about it like that instead Semi- of just language. Semiology is the one that's published every day in the newspaper and your weird friend at work cares about it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, something about tooth signs today. Good. Great. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, this is the Expounded Universe podcast where we discuss old Star Wars legends, Star Wars podcast novel role plays. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that by the third time you'll get it. There's going to be a time. What was or, wrong with that one? Or eventually. What was You'll what's, get it. What's the problem? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, no. Okay, let me try. Perfect. Let me try oh, one more time. On. Okay, okay. Let's, let's just reset everyone back, just, back to back to one. Everyone in position. Can I, can I, can I please get a sparkling water? Thank you. And, <laughs> All uh, right, and okay. scene. Go. Okay, here we go. Welcome back to Expounded Universe, the Star Wars discussion novel podcast. <laughs> podcast. Good. Got it in one. We're done. Okay. Podcast. All right, everyone. Let's break for lunch. All right. Good. Blimpies. Yeah. No, never blimpies. Yeah, blimpos. <laughs> All right. So, John, we're starting up a new book this week. We got a brand new book, and... Uh, It'll crush this town. Holy shit, you guys. I mean, only only one chapter, obviously, in so far. Mm-hmm. But uh, this, so far, isn't terrible. <laughs> well, so if you missed last week's wrap-up episode, let's get you introduced to what's happening today. Uh, our new book is uh, Star Wars. Tales from Mos Eisley Cantina. Well, I'm. It's actually the Mos Eisley Cantina. Oh shoot! I'm sorry. I thought that was the name of the place. I think it's actually called Eleven Rudies. <laughs> yeah, Tales from Eleven Rudies. <laughs> so it's yes. eleven <laughs> chapters long, and each one is from the perspective of a different Rudy. Each in one Star of- Wars. <laughs> it's it's Rudy as told. As re- recounted by a Star Wars character that had seen it. Yeah. So you've got like Admiral Akbar's take on the movie Rudy. <laughs> I saw Rudy once in the theaters. It was great. <laughs> yeah, and then it cuts over to R two D two. Beepity boop, boop, beepity boop, eh? <laughs> hey, I'm beeping here. Come on. Hey, bada beep, bada boop. <laughs> so, and then you've got C three PO's version of Rudy. <laughs> I didn't care for it. <laughs> Very short episode, that one. I do uh, like watching the the boys in the tight pants, though. Very nice. <laughs> Lots of rocker room dialogue. Oh, I, my. I, but no, okay, so right back to it. This is Star Wars Tales from the Mos Eisley Cantina. We decided to do a short story anthology this time. Yeah. Now, uh, the reason that we're doing that is because there is absolutely no way that Princess Leia is in this book. Now... Once again, just so everyone's clear, John and I are actually huge fans of Princess Leia. Yeah, that's why it, it hurts us so bad every time we read anything from these books, and it's like, hey, did you know Leia's the literal worst? Here you go. So we need a break from terribly written Princess Leia material, and we decided to get get that by going to the Mos Eisley Cantina and learning about the many and varied aliens that dwell within. Yeah, so for this season, every chapter of this book is a different story. Uh-huh. So each episode of the show is a different story. Yep, every single one. And uh basically any of the people that you saw in that Moss Eisley Cantina scene is going to show up in one of these chapters, I assume. Yeah, we're going to learn some amazing names from the from the history of Star Wars like uh like Feltapern Travag <laughs> and the Tonica Twins. Hey man, no spoilers. 
hey, none of these are spoilers. These are things I knew because I had the toys. Yeah, well, you're spoiling it for me because I never had the toys or oh, cared about I'm sorry. Star Wars. I'm sorry, John. In six or seven episodes, when we get to the tale of Feltapern Travag, I'll apologize profusely that you accidentally read it. I'll be like, oh, God damn it. God damn it. You, you spoiled this by telling me his stupid name. <laughs> now, now that I know the dumb name, there's nothing else here for me. This is over. <laughs> so anyway, what are we going to start out with for chapter one? So chapter one, we're going to go with probably the most notable thing from the Moss Eisley Cantina. Dr. Evazon and Ponda Baba? Which is the band. Oh. Them jizz whalers. Yeah, they whale some jizz, let me tell you. So there's a couple things that we need to do differently here. First of all, let's identify that the book overall is edited and assembled by Kevin J. Anderson. Yeah, Kevin Janderson. So Kevin Janderson, if you're not familiar with him, is the biggest hack in the world. Uh, he's quite pleasant to a person, I'm sure, but he writes genre fiction for any amount of money for anyone. He's written, like, genre fiction about the band Rush. <laughs> like, I'm not kidding. That's a real thing he's done. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, oh, don't think I don't know about the novelization of their albums. So, so Kevin J. Anderson will write anything for a nickel, and he wrote a lot of extremely terrible Star Wars. Virtually any time you hear us making fun of a dumb name or a lightsaber that changes sizes or is rainbow-colored or the Sun Crusher, that's all Kevin J. Anderson. And he even writes a story in this book, but we're not there yet. Today we're reading The Band's Tale by the author Kathy Tires. Yeah. Oh, and one more thing I want to talk about, just a little bit of book cleaning house here. There's a, there's a really interesting acknowledgement at the beginning of this book. It's dedicated to Bill Smith, the editor of West End Games. See, we've made fun. Back when we did System Mastery, we reviewed West End Games Star Wars, and we were like, this is the worst game ever written. Why did anyone do this? Yeah. Uh, here's the thing. We're right about the mechanics, but a lot of the more interesting expounded or expanded universe Star Wars stuff comes from West End Games. Well, so much of the stuff that is actually still canon in the Star Wars universe came from that. Yeah, like what Bothans look like is still technically canon because it showed up in like the Clone Wars and Rebels cartoons. That came from West End Games. Yeah, West End Games really just was like, hey, you gave us free reign to come up with whatever dumb shit we wanted to, and here you go. Yeah, so, so that's kind of a neat little... Uh, Note to see. And the reason that Kevin J. Anderson is a fan is because he's using those old supplements for uh, West End Star Wars to write his books, which is cool. I don't think I don't think he was sitting around playing Star Wars RPGs. Maybe he was. I mean, maybe. He, if he seems was, like that kind of guy that would play <laughs> West End games. If he was, he was the worst player at his table. Uh, my character has an invincible spaceship that shields him from heat, uh, and uh, he has a lightsaber that, can, when he turns it on, hits all the bad guys at once. I'm sorry, maybe you're not familiar. We're playing West End games, Star Wars. You're a shit farmer. You have nothing. <laughs> Uh, I, I believe you'll note that I rolled a D50 and all the numbers on it are 50s. <laughs> Good. You have 50 credits. <laughs> I had it signed by George Lucas. It's an official die for the game. <laughs> this is signed by George Burns. Mm, yes, yes. Weird. Quite. <laughs> oh, oh God, you devil. <laughs> uh, I wrote a lot of oh God, you devil fan fiction. Or, sorry, I was paid for it. It wasn't fan fiction. Well, it was still fan fiction. I just got paid for it. <laughs> I don't actually care for it. I hate him. It's not fan. I hate George Burns. It's not fan fiction. It's mad fiction. (laughs) It's the kind of fiction you write when you're mad at the setting. It's the kind of fiction you write for Mad Magazine, (laughs) which I am mad at. You know what? Enough with the sploich. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, the sploich. Avoid the sploich. They used to say, (laughs) and quit drawing tiny little doodles in the margins. Why aren't those margins clean? (laughs) Give me them clean margins. (laughs) You're causing me to worry. What? Me worry? The band's tale. <laughs> the band's tale. As you can probably guess, this is about the Cantina band. You know, do 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 John, take it. No. I will not. Take I I am not your monkey to dance on your command. How about this one? Do 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 diddly do do diddly do. No. No. John, take it. No, diddly dudes. All right, hang on. I'll try one more time. Uh, the famous band, uh, Cantina Band song. Yar, har, fiddle dee dee. <laughs> Being a pirate is all right with me. John, take it. Do what you want because a pirate lives free. You are a pirate. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> that's John's weakness, by the way, folks. If you ever need him to finish the song for you, that's the song he'll finish no matter what. That's the song. You give me anything from Lazy Town and I am on it. Hey, John, it's a, it's a piece of cake to bake a pretty cake. <laughs> Uh, so the band's tale. So we open uh, in Jabba's palace. Yeah, for a second I was like, wait a minute, we didn't do Tales from Jabba's Palace. That's a whole different book. Yeah, I know. We get a bonus tale, Tales from Jabba's Palace here. A bonus tale, John. One bonus tale. An extra story. It's like I'm Miles Prower. 
<laughs> he has two tails. Is he supposed to though? Do, do members of his species normally have two tails, or is no? He weird? That's why he has an extra tail. He does have an extra Fucking tail? Keep up with me, man. <laughs> it's like I'm I'm moving around at the speed of sound. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the moment I pictured what he was doing, I started going through the tailspin theme song in my head instead. God, <laughs> we, we are just not able to stay on target. We're the worst X-Wing pilots. We are terrible podcasters. We're sorry. Stop listening to us. Hey, you guys ever heard of Chapo Trap House? Yeah, I I hear a lot of good things, but then also some people don't like them. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. They're like something. Anyway... We started Jabba's Palace, where a whole bunch of passed out aliens are super passed out from probably like space drugs. Probably. It's, I mean, it's basically the same thing of uh, when you had that scene where Leia in the bounty hunter getup like sneaks into the palace. And everyone's that, just sort of sleep on top of each other. Yeah, everyone's just sort of passed out, and the uh, the house band is getting their shit together. Yeah, they're getting all put away and put together, and everyone else in town is completely zonked out and drugged out and sleeping on the floor. Almost like a different scene from Boogie Nights instead of the Alfred Molina one that we keep going back to every single time. <laughs> yeah, we keep going to that <laughs> Alfred Molina well. <laughs> it's the only scene in Boogie Nights. <laughs> Look, I've never watched Boogie Nights. <laughs> Guys, I've only ever watched the Alfred Molina part of Boogie Nights. Guys, I've got it on Blu-ray, though. There's a part that where... scene in Boogie Nights. <laughs> There's a part where someone talks to a fake penis, right? That's a thing? Yeah, well, yeah. he's a star. He's He's a star. He's a bright, shining star. Yeah, see? So there we go. Okay, so the band is getting their shit together, and uh, this is going to get us set up with our introduction to the character. Now, this this is written first person. Yep. Uh, and we're, we have to learn which member of the band. Now, uh, savvy listeners will probably already know at least one member of the band. Well, that's because the band's name includes... That member. Yeah, that's correct. Now, also, because kind of knowing the Cantina band's name, like just the name of the band, is the level of Star Wars trivia that like TV show hosts are willing to go to, because any further it would be too nerdy. Like, you never hear Stephen Colbert talking about anyone else in the Cantina, but he knows the name Fi uh, Figrin Don in the Modal Nodes. Yeah. He'll mention that, because that's the right level of nerdy to appeal to the 18 to 34 demographic. <laughs> well, yeah, if there's one thing Stephen Colbert is worried about, it's coming off too nerdy. If there's two things he's worried about, it's coming off nerdy and wolf spiders. <laughs> that is definitely <laughs> the other thing that he is worried about. <laughs> so, But interestingly, this, this chapter is not told from the point of view of Figure and Don. In fact, he's immediately introduced as sort of an asshole. I absolutely love that. The fact that, like, basically all anyone knew about this is it's a band, and it's called Figrin Don and the Modal Nodes, mm -hmm. and it's told from the perspective of one of the other band members. He's like, oh, Figrin Don's a huge asshole. Uh-huh, right away. He's a big gambling douchebag. Now, the book, for whatever reason, this is only a 19-page short story, but it takes a while to get introduce us to our guy. So instead, he is basically surveying the room and telling us what he sees. It's uh, he, He's looking at Jabba, and he's like, ah, our big fat benefactor who has no ears, and you can tell because he can't twitch his tail in time with our music. Well, no, it's... You can't tell that he has ears, but he has no rhythm, I think, is less that well, he no, can't I, hear it. No, I know. He was saying that he doesn't visibly have outward ears, which is accurate. Jabba doesn't... He's just sort of conical Sluggy. up top. Yeah. But he was like, also, he's got no ear for music. You know what I mean? Like, he's... This guy is writing in slang, and I, or this character is, is describing all this stuff in cool space slang, and I actually kind of love it. Well, the, the nice thing is he describes the race, the Bithians. Yes, just Bith. Nah, the Bithians. Well, their stuff is Bithian, but they themselves are Bith. They are Bithian. They, okay, sure. They're Bithian? <laughs> well, they're Herthian? Well, it's Herthian. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh... Their whole thing is, like, as a species, they have an amazing ability to, like, detect sound and variance in levels. And so the way that we would go, like, oh, that's, like, magenta or red or crimson or clover shades. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, if we were looking at a coat, we'd be like, that's, you know, russet and gray and ochre and yellow and Green purple and, and yellow and magenta and puce and blue. They, however, would do that with sound. So a lot of the times during this chapter, whenever anyone's talking to our main character, he'll describe their voice, not just in like the pitch, but he'll also be like, it's very blue in timber. Actually, he does it just enough to kind of pepper the tone of the of the book. It's not annoying. No. It's actually interesting. It's enough that you're like, oh, I feel like that is accurate to what they're doing rather than just a gimmick. Yeah. And that's why I am amazed at this chapter is if this had been 
from the point of view of this character in the other two books we have read, Mm -hmm. it would have been a constant nonstop shit show and it would have been awful. Also, they would have stopped and explained it every time he did that. When he was like, oh, this guy said that in a blue-gray tone of voice, which is what my species says when they they note that they are able to hear colors. You see, on the planet of Bith, on Bithion Prime. (laughs) Bithtopia. Ah, yes. So uh, Bith, on the planet of Bith, please. On the planet of Bith Tannen. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we both had different Bith jokes ready for that. <laughs> I had so many Bith jokes ready for this, John. You think I don't prepare for these? I have seven pages of notes. You have no idea how many Bith jokes I have. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So uh, basically, uh, he, he starts by talking about how Jabba kind of has them as a house band. Like Jabba, who doesn't even appear to like music especially, has definitely retained their services because they are the hottest jizz band in town. And even if he doesn't ha- like them especially, he's they're here for appearances. Yeah, I mean, a, as far as I can tell, they're the one band that Jabba's like, I'm fine with you. I can tolerate these guys, yeah. So, uh, okay, so we're talking fi- Figure and Dawn and the Modal Notes, who, again, you'd know from their two songs that were in the movie, which, by the way, were both written by John Williams. Yeah, same. Dude was... <laughs> you were written by John Williams. Yes. I think you're taking your same joke too far. <laughs> same. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's the joke. John, I'm a big douchebag. <laughs> True. Damn it. <laughs> My petard. <laughs> oh. <laughs> anyway, uh, he also notes that Jabba has been basically trapped in there because every night at Jabba's palace, huge portcullis castle doors slam everyone into his little, what they called his presence room. Yeah. Like the room in which Jabba's presence can be found, not like, you know, p- birthday presents. Yeah, and that, you know, does explain why when we see those scenes, everyone is just sort of passed out wherever, because it's not like you were going anywhere. Yeah. Now, he starts rattling on about how his band is the greatest band in history, and they are all members in good standing of the Intergalactic Federation of Musicians. Indeed. Which, you know, sounds like a cool thing to exist in Star Wars, if a little ambitious. I mean, most of Star Wars is about one galaxy. I don't know if there's, like, Yuzhan Vong members in this Well, I think it's or... the same thing as us saying we've got the World Series. <laughs> there's, there's a Canadian team. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> the Japanese will get in there eventually. Come on. <laughs> I, uh, so, yeah, the Intergalactic Federation of Musicians. And uh, he also wants to talk to you about his fizz. His fizz with three Zs. Yes, the, his fizz with three Zs, which he uh, he says you symphonic ridgeheads would probably call it a, was it a Bronian Balashnikwell or something like that? Yeah, you would probably call it Barishnikov. Yeah, I, it's a, oh, oh, sorry, a Dorinian Beshnikwell. Yeah. So that's his musical instrument. Now, if you're curious what that is, I'll, tr- I'll do my best to describe each of the individual musical instruments by quick sentences only based on o- owning these toys. All right, so imagine a big dick. Uh, <laughs> Now you're blowing into it. <laughs> no, first of all, fanfars are the space vapes. They're okay. they're, they're the robo dicks. A, uh, a a fizz is basically if uh, it's a space clarinet. Yeah, yeah. So he's got his big old space clarinet that he's very proud of, and uh, he starts introducing the rest of the band by by the instrument that they play. So he points out old Figrin Don. The the he's a he's a gambler and a and a right cad. And no one likes him very much. And he, he owns all the instruments of every other member of the band. Yeah, because he his big thing is he loves to gambler. He's a huge... He loves to gambler. Yeah, he's a huge gamble, and yeah. he loves to gambler. Yep, uh-huh, sure, sure. <laughs> it's a podcast narrative, John, and not a narrative podcast novel experience time. <laughs> Indeed. Uh-huh. So, uh, basically, everyone else except our main character has, at some point, lost their uh, instrument... To Figrin Don in Sabak. That's correct. Uh, so Figrin Don is is definitely the most fleshed out character in here, with the exception of our hero. Yeah. But he then points out two more members of his band, uh, Tedden Dehai and Ikabel Gaunt. Uh, now these two are fanfare players, and the fanfare is literally just one of those first generation big vapes. Them big vapes. It's one of them robo dicks. Yeah. There's two guys playing these things. They're basically flutes. And then he points out, uh, let's see, who else do we got? We got... Uh, Tech Jansen. Tech Jan- yes, Tech Jansen. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Tech Cheers or something like that. Tech Maors. There you go. Uh, Tech Maors is the Omnibox player. And Omnibox looks like if a typewriter had a steering wheel coming out the middle of it. <laughs> it's the only instrument on the field that's played seated. Yep. Uh, and he says that it does all kinds of interesting things to their music. Yeah, and, okay. and it's the most complicated of the instruments to play, and it takes your full attention to do. Which is interesting, because all of the descriptions of Tech Maors make him sound like a drunk, like like he's just never not high. Well, yeah, I th- 
I think a lot of it is they're trying to both do a drummer joke where it's, oh, yeah, the guy who is the person who is the drummer in this situation because he's the only seated one uh-huh. is always high and kind of like fucked up and not paying attention. But then he plays drums immediately and correctly when needed. Yeah, but then it's like, hey, we need you to do drum stuff. And he's like, yes, I am doing that. That's what I do. That is exactly the thing I am capable of doing. I am murder face. Please hand me my bass. <laughs> Speaking of murder face, we also have to deal with Nalan Cheel, who is the player of the bandfill. Now, a bandfill looks like if you hot glued a snow cone maker to a fire hydrant and then attached three bike horns to one side. And the reason it looks like that is because that's exactly what Lucas did. <laughs> that's more or less accurate, yes. Uh, now, that we have no idea what that instrument plays because he just mentions it offhand. Uh, Nalan Cheel also gets very little description. I like to think that he's grumpy and gruff and kind of a detective personality. He eats hard-boiled eggs the way you'd eat gum and he'd kill you for a nickel. <laughs> That's Nalan Cheel. So he doesn't he doesn't eat hard boiled eggs very often then? That's because you don't like gum. Yeah, I don't have a lot of gum. Also, he has diverticulitis. <laughs> Good. The nice thing here is that we're getting these descriptions of the band members uh, with an accept- an acknowledgement from our hero, who, by the way, is Doik Nats. <laughs> he's uh, he's Dank Nuts. So Doik Nats is the <laughs> Doik the Clown Nats. Doink Nuts. <laughs> it's uh. He's the straight man of the band. He's the one who takes everything seriously. He's really all about the music, man. But one thing he does acknowledge, he's really all about the music, man. Yeah, he loves the music, man. He loves that. Shapoopy. 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 A girl who's hard, hard to get. get. <laughs> no, he's he's the serious member of the band. Um, but he does acknowledge that all Bith look the same to non-Bith. Yeah. Which is accurate, because let's be clear here. The Bith in the band look like if a testicle had a butthole on it, and then that that testicle with a butthole was dressed like uh, Dieter from the Saturday Night Live bits. Yes. That's that's exactly, I mean, you couldn't get more correct than that. Yeah. So uh, I like that there are occasional points where at least he's like, oh, yeah, it's very hard to tell us apart for other people. But then throughout the story, occasionally when he talks, people will be like, Oh, I recognize you. I I clearly see that you are dank nuts now Mm -hmm. because I know your voice. I'm like, well, that's good. At least there's the recognition of, yeah, we kind of all look the same because Lucas could only afford the one costume. Mm -hmm. But, like, not everyone is space racist and they're like, oh, okay, I can tell you apart. It's not just... I immediately assume everyone is whatever. So anyway, they're all packing up their instruments, and at this point, I really need to pause and raise a serious objection with this short story. Okay. Where's Liren Karin? Uh, I don't know. He's probably at home. Oh, washing his tights. <laughs> so, Liren Karin is the backup clue horn player, because the Cantina Band in uh, Mos Eisley Cantina has seven members. Seven. Watch the movie. Count them. There's Liren Karn, Ted, Ted and DeHai, Ikebel Gaunt, Tech Moores, Nalan Cheel, Figrin Don, and Doik Nats. You can't have a story about them without Liren Karn, the backup clue horn player. Well, my assumption is, I mean, to spoiler alert this, at the end of the story, they get hired at the Moss Eisley Cantina. And there's just some other Bith there. That I like have also- to, yeah, I have to imagine there's some Bith there who's like, oh, I've just been entertaining people here with a clue horn by myself. Hi there, Liren Karn. I'm up to speed. Carry on. <laughs> oh God, uh, an actual band. Good. <laughs> I've been I've been filling in clue horn songs with jokes. No one likes Bith jokes. <laughs> no one understands Bith jokes. Every Bith joke is about what about how weird it is to fart with your mouth. <laughs> Because we all I, have buttholes for mouths. Then I keep trying to get people into my cryptocurrency. You know, Bithcoin. <laughs> oh my god. You really did write a lot of, of Bith material. Of course I wrote Bith material. <laughs> I was almost kind of worried that when they were stuck in Jabba's palace, they'd end up getting fed to the Rancor and become Kibbles and Bith. Eh, there we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, just let it know, be go. We'll go forward with the review, but note my strong objection that Lear and Karn, the seventh member and truly the heart of the band. Yeah. The, 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 the unofficial heart of Figrin Don and the Modal Nodes, for some reason, not present. He's he's like the Winston of this group. <laughs> he just doesn't have any lines. Like, he's even there, but even Doik's not acknowledging him in the slightest. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, I guess we do have to move the story forward, even though the band is incomplete. Fine. Correct. <laughs> so Figrin immediately starts trying to hustle uh, Doik, our main character, into a game of sabak. Because it's the only instrument he doesn't own. Yes, that's right. He really wants to own that uh, that fizz. Yeah. Who doesn't want to own a nice Tereshni and Beshnikwell? Uh, probably... Anyone else? I mean, it's Probably been, anyone? It's been held up against a butthole for so long now. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, a bithole. 
There you go. Thank you. <laughs> He's been doing French kiss with a... <laughs> you got them little little flappy bits. <laughs> He's got them flappy birds. I, so he based, this is a chance for uh, for Doink to point out how much of a straight musician type he is because he's like, "Look, man, I'm not gambling with you. I don't gamble. Remember I, that? I don't even drink. I don't gamble. I'm just here to play my fizz and do the music. I'm here for the music. I'm in the band." And Do- and, and Figurin responds by calling him Thermal. <laughs> yeah, because Thermal is is Star Wars for crazy. That's why the best grenade is called a crazy detonator. <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> Come on down to crazy detonators. Did you need a detonator for your war? Come on down to crazy detonators. <laughs> they're actually grenades, even though the name of them makes it sound like they're the part that makes the grenade explode in the first place. I don't know why we do it. It's probably because we're crazy. We're thermal for thermal <laughs> detonators. That's <laughs> like... Uh, so yeah, they're calling each other thermal and compulsive and all kinds of fun band lingo. Uh, they just kind of spar back and forth for a bit. Uh, one of them even says, whoever heard of a bander that doesn't gamble? And I was like, Ooh, bander, that's good too. I like all these words. (laughs) Everything that's being said right now is nice and I like it. Yeah. And at this point we finally get around to the point where, where Doik wants to actually introduce himself, give us his name and continue to call figure and Don kind of a butthole. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now they're going to get. Approached for a new job by E522. E522, which is one of Jabba's assassin droids. It used to be one of Jabba's yeah. assassin droids. It was uh, it was one of his favorite assassin droids, which is interesting. It's described in such a weird way. Yeah, it's... It, well, basically, the, the story of E522 is that he was an assassin droid for Jabba. He said, see you later, Jabba. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was doing Skater Boy. Yeah, I... Look, don't fucking try and explain a Skater Boy to me, okay? Don't don't you dare. (laughs) I just wasn't sure, John, that you recognized the dulcet lyrics of Avril Lavigne off the top of your head. (laughs) Of course I do. How dare you, sir? How dare you? I've got two ears and a heart, don't I? Uh, But... The the whole thing was someone had like accused them of eating from Jabba's personal like pickled frog jar. Yes, you know that that jar that Jabba has that he eats those weird nasty things from. Yeah, he eats little squealy frogs from it. No one else is allowed to eat them squeal frogs. Yeah, so some random person at Jabba's palace was like, "Hey, them Biff been eating your frogs," and I'm like, "One, that frog's not going to fit in that tiny butthole mouth that that guy's got." <laughs> You'd be surprised at the accommodations of those mouths, John. They, I mean, they you, can stretch to fit. You got to spend some time lubing up the edges and really rimming it, rimming it in, but. <laughs> That's how Biff eat. They just they just put a whole chicken there and just rotate it back and forth sensuously until it slides right in. Good. That's that's the image I needed right that's now. That's the tweet. Uh so E5 stepped forward and was like, "No, that's actually not accurate. I have been watching them this whole time. They have not touched your frogs." Mm-hmm. But Jabba was still pissed off that someone might have been eating his frogs and he wanted someone to die. Yeah, so he fucking sent the assassin droid to the Rancor who then got chewed on for a while until the Rancor got bored and left. Yeah. Well, he's not going to eat a droid. No. What is he? The great heap? <laughs> what is he? A great heap? The great heap, John. The sole abominor named the Great Heap. The only Great Heap. So there are lesser heaps. There's a Great Heap and a Madam Heap, and that's it. And the Madam Heap just sings songs about believing in yourself to fraggles. Well, you know, it's good work if you can get it. <laughs> Being a pile of garbage in a gorg's backyard, yeah. nothing better. Got him halfway there. <laughs> you can go hang out in your own backyard. You're kind of gorgy as well. I'm a little gorgon. So, uh, anyway, yeah, E522 has previously been fed to the Rancor where he was chewed up beyond recognition. Apparently, someone rescued him from the trash heap and converted him into a messenger droid. Yeah. Uh, He is still described interestingly. Apparently, he has a wasp waist, huge shoulders, and is rolling around on treads. Yeah. Uh, He also has no arms below the elbow because all of his guns and blasters and stuff have been removed. Yeah, because before, his hands were just weapons because he's an assassin droid. What does he need, like, regular digits for? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he didn't have them digits, and and now he just has nothing there. He's here to deliver them a message, and apparently the part of his mind where he would have been pissed off at these Bith has been erased. Yeah, 
Now, normally he would hate them both, but he uh, he just doesn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Like, everything has been erased. So basically, he just gives them this message, and the message is, hey, would you be willing to come play a wedding for Lady Valerian? Yeah, at the, ci- the City lucky- of a Thousand Planets. <laughs> ah, Valerian. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so basically, he wants... Um, or E522 wants to pass a message along from Jabba's key rival in, in uh, Mos Eisley, who's a brand new character. We've never heard of this before. Yeah. A uh, Valerian who owns a sunken spaceship called the Lucky Despot, which is uh, a casino. So she owns a, spa- a, a illicit space casino half buried in the Mos Eisley sands. And apparently someone at her restaurant, her in fact, is getting married. Indeed. Now, of course, all the Bith immediately respond with, we don't do weddings. Yes. And they have a fun little description of why doing weddings is the worst thing you could ever do if you're a band. Oh, yeah. Because they're like, oh, this is, weddings are the worst. You don't get paid as much. Everyone wants you to play their dumb shit that they want you to do. Mm-hmm. You, you're you wasting like two days on it, three if the species has a particularly long wedding. The tips are terrible. The There's, there's screaming children everywhere. It's all actually a pretty good description of why you wouldn't want to play a wedding. Yeah, it's all a, a good description of why I don't want to go to weddings. <laughs> also true. Uh, so I, I guess weddings suck for a band, but this time the money's real good. Oh, yeah. Three thousand credits, which let's be clear, that's not good money. We've heard way better numbers than that in this Star Wars. Well, the thing is, he responds to that with like, oh, my God, I could start my own band with that money. Even if even if Figrin wasn't taking a, a larger share than the rest of the band. Yeah. He, then he'd still be getting 500 credits out of the deal. Yeah. Which is amazing to me that he's like, oh, yeah. That's the kind of money I need to really start my way in life. I'm like, really? 500 credits? That's it? Like, even if you just assume that a credit is a buck, 500 bucks isn't going to get you a whole new band and off planet. Yeah. Fucking even if you assume it's 10 bucks per credit, $5,000 isn't going to get you off planet. Yeah. So basically, he seems a little weird. He's like, oh, my God, 3,000 credits. That's an amazing deal. And I'm like, I don't feel like that's true. I feel like maybe that's wrong. Maybe he meant to say 3,000 Bitcoin. Maybe that's what he wanted. Yeah. So Lady Valerian is a known hothead and a whiphid. Yeah. And whiphids, John, you might know whiphids because they were bad guys in that Star Wars MMO. Uh, they look like 10 foot tall. They are 100% three. the reason that the joke why the long face exists. Oh, no, that's a different species. Uh, there's no, two- the whiphids are the ones that have... Like faces that go all the way down and then jut out with tusks. No, bottom. no, that's that's I forget what those are called. You'll encounter one when we eventually get around to Tales from Jabba's Palace. Uh, but but whiphids look more like. I mean, they also have a long face. Don't get me wrong. No, you're thinking of a different thing. I'm thinking of a whippid. Believe me, because I'm doing whippids for the bonus content. <laughs> oh wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, no, they do have long faces. I'm thinking of the Shevin, which have even longer faces. Yeah, I feel like the Shevin are less long face and more like my body is a face, also a wonderland. <laughs> my body is a face and a wonderland. <laughs> it didn't quite fit the rhyme structure, so we had to cut it. The but that song, was originally what that song this was. This song gets me laid less than I would have expected. <laughs> Which is still a lot. You would not believe the the trim he pulls down. No, I, I, I would. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I would. I believe how much trim John Mayer pulls down. <laughs> No, I don't think you do. I've got a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> Look, folks, he just pulls down a chart screen. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Hold on. This is for thermal detonators. Let me. Uh, <laughs> I've got a lot of explaining thermal detonators to do, got Lucy. Lot, i got a lot of charts here. <laughs> so, uh, all right. So you're doing whippets. Shevin are a, di- are a different species that I was thinking you were talking about, because they, they are the, the record for the longest face in Star Wars. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The very longest. And you know, That's a hot, hotly contested contest every year. Who's got the longest face? I know. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, these guys, they basically, for folks who don't have us Googling things and showing pictures to each other, Whiphead look like if a, a walrus was 10 feet tall and not a walrus. Like uh, They're ugly. Take take a Wookiee and then where their face is, just put like a big ugly. melty candle with tux, tusks at the bottom. There you go. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. So that's what Lady Valerian is, and she wants to hire this band because she's heard they're the hottest jazz act in, I mean, sorry, jizz act in town. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, so they're even told, like, look, you don't have to be there for the wedding. You're just doing the reception. Like, one day, in and out, we'll give all your food and accommodations and everything. And uh, Figurin' Dan agrees, even though... The dank nuts would rather not. Yeah, Doink Nats is like, nah, man, it's a bad deal, and Jabba doesn't. Jabba's got an exclusive contract on us. He will have us flayed. Like, if we were to play for a, 
other people generically we would get in trouble with Jabba to go perform for his main like crime rival. Yeah, nah. Yeah, this isn't going to work. But Figrin's like, but they might have sabak tables and cheese. <laughs> yeah. Call in. Figrin Dan, played by Monterey Jack in Fig- this. Figrin Don, played by Monterey, by, by Monterey Jack, as portrayed by Paul Lind. Yes. Because I can't actually do a Monterey Jack accent. <laughs> John, if you would, please. What, you, you want me to just tell you about some cheese? Oh, you're still doing Paul Lind. I want to hear you. You can actually do a pretty good Monterey Jack. I could, but I'd have to start talking about Zippa. <laughs> Thank you. That's all. That's good enough. <laughs> okay, now, uh, so they take the job. Now, the next day, they're out. Fl- they're flying their way out to the Lucky Despot in a kind of sky, one of those uh, sail barge things. Yeah. It's a local taxi, and as they pass it, they get a good look at the outside of it, and uh, Doik is kind of narrating the description. It's all very pretty. He's describing the sunset and so on, but there's something that happens here that might be the only thing in this whole chapter I don't actually care for, Okay, which is that he sees the ship, and then it says, he goes... And in the old spacer's display of a respect for another person's ship, I, I mentally salute it with the phrase, what a piece of junk. And I'm like, no, don't. Don't make everything that the main character said a catchphrase. Uh, don't do not do that. Because it, it cheapens the cool things that the main characters say. Uh, it makes them sound like dorks. Uh, but but they are dorks. It'd be like if, jo- if Han famously ran around quoting South Park for the entire movie. <laughs> Oh, I can't wait for that new Solo movie where that is definitely going to be what happens. Do you like that, Greedo Tenorman? Because it's made out of your parents. I call it my Greedo Tenorman's parents' chili. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's going to be a point where Java's like, ah, oh, you need to get me that bounty, and he's going to be like, you need to respect my authority. Vader's mom is big, fat bitch. She's the biggest bitch in the whole wide world. <laughs> oh, oh, Vader's mom is very dead. Oh, he loved her very much. <laughs> She was so nice. I just don't like that. I mean, the one time where Leia, I, th- I think it, no, it's Han, who says, what a piece of junk. Han doesn't respond with, ah, yes, the spacer's greeting. I appreciate that, ah, sir. Yes. Mm, delightfully devilish. No, he, he says, hey, this is a good ship. What the fuck are you talking about? Kind of shit, you know? Yeah. It, it's, it, don't take the stuff the main characters say and turn it into fun catchphrases. Just let them be the things they say. Yeah. That's all. It's the only complaint I have about this chapter of this book for the most part. Yeah, the one thing I really do like about the the doik is his characterization is very interesting in that we get a lot about him Mm -hmm. in a short amount of time and like one of the main things we find out about him is he really likes droids and is into droid rights like the fact when uh the assassin droid comes up and is like hey you need to come do whatever he doesn't have a restraining bolt and he's like good i hate restraining bolts like it's essentially like putting a slave collar on a human you'd be like don't don't fucking do that, man. So he likes droids and is it's a neat little thing that doesn't get harped on, yeah. but comes through a lot. No, he's got a couple of cool little character quirks that that show up without being endlessly overexplained. Yeah, like uh when they finally get here to the Lucky Despot, he immediately makes friends with the guy who's doing security because he's like, "Look, we're going to be performing for a fucking like criminal wedding." I want the guy running security to be my friend. Yeah. So as they pull up, he sees yet more droids that don't have restraining bolts. And he's like, wow, I really do like Lady Valerian. But then she doesn't meet them. And he's like, oh, I don't like Lady Valerian. <laughs> he did. She thinks we're less important than even her droids. Oh, yeah. We're just the music. And I'm like, dude, cal- calm down. It's the day before her wedding. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> she ain't going to come out there and greet you. Yeah. She's she's busy and freaked out, and, she did, and her hair's a mess. Also, she's a gross, ugly walrus monster. <laughs> also that. <laughs> Just let her deal with her thing. She's takes got a, long, a lot going on. It takes a long time to get a whip hit into a wedding dress. <laughs> yeah. That, I feel like there's a saying there somewhere, <laughs> like getting a whip hit into a wedding gr- dress. Yeah. And we also, we learned from uh, his friend, the the security guard, that he kind of, liquors up with a with a glass of something called lum uh which i assume is just space beer yeah but he, he meets a kubaz named thwim now kubaz you'd remember as the alien from star wars that has the big metal plated elephant's trunk that is the spy in new hope and it goes rah, 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 rah. Uh, oh really you'd remember that as the the little uh <laughs> droid that comes down in uh, empire strikes back <laughs> Oh, wait, that's Fremen on the Frim Fram. That's Fremen, Fremen on, on the, the Frim Fram. Fremen on the Fram, yes. Sorry, man. No, he got, he picks up a little microphone, holds it up to his weird little proboscis, and goes, wah, 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 wah. and he's just telling everyone that Han is heading back to the Millennium Falcon. There you go. So, so uh, this one's a different one, though. This is Thwim, 
And Thwim is a security guard for Lady Valerian. And for a glass of lum, he spills that the person getting married is Lady Valerian, and the person she's marrying is another whiphead named Duwop. Yes, Duwop. So, so it's <laughs> this just made me realize how much it makes him sound like the third member of Bebop and Rocksteady's team. Uh huh. <laughs> and I mean, given what a whiphead looks like, I'm yeah. like, yeah, I could see this guy hanging out with Bebop, Rocksteady, and Duwop. We're the Tusk Brothers. Uh. <laughs> Except for Rocksteady, he has horns, but, you know, it's fine. We we still like him. <laughs> we love him anyway. <laughs> but, you know, Tusk Brothers. You know. <laughs> so Duop is a uh, a whiphead bounty hunter who is even bigger and fiercer than Lady Valerian, they say. Yeah. Uh, but but he's here to marry her and, and uh, c- establish power with the two of them. But that's all the good information that he manages to get out of Thwim. Now, at this point, he is... Yeah, spotted- well, you know, god damn it. You can't really get a lot too much out of him because he isn't in the deep end. You know, you can't really get Thwim in the deep end right away. <laughs> That's terrible, man. It's the worst joke. You you have no idea the shitty material I have. <laughs> I'm so mad right now. <laughs> you should be. Anyway, just wait. <laughs> oh, Christ, he he is spotted through the crowd by yet another cool alien. This one's an Arcona, which are basically inverted triangle head guys with big red eyes and uh, smug smiles. They have very smug little faces. <laughs> smug bastards. <laughs> This is Kodu Terrafin. He's a pilot for Jabba the Hutt. Uh, there is one on the cover there. John, yeah, there is. Look. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if that's Kodu or not. But anyway, he is a pilot for Jabba. He flies courier sail barges around. And he comes sliming through the crowd right on up to Doik, who he thinks is Figrin. Yeah. And he's like, hey, hi, Figrin. How you doing? I'm I'm not Figrin. Oh, hey, Doik. Yeah. I like that just by talking to him, he's like, oh, I immediately know that you're Doik. Like, <laughs> I understand that you'd probably mistake most people for Figrin, because... He's like, the one with a name. Yeah, you're like, oh, you're the one person that I know. Yeah. But the fact that he knows what the other members' names are and can tell them apart by voice, I'm like, good, great, I'm Any- glad. Anyway, he's here to sell information. Oh, he certainly is, because uh, there's some, some real hot goss coming in. <laughs> there's some juicy fruit, if you know what I mean, and he is ready to part with it for the low, low price of 100 credits. Oh, my god! Why, 100 credits? You could buy one-fifth of a band with that much money. Right? You could get yourself a fifth of the way off planet. Good Lord, 100 credits, based on the fact that 3,000 is amazing. I was like, dude, 100 credits, that's, that's kind of pricey. Yeah, that's crazy. Anyway, they eventually settle on 35. And the information? Why, it's that Jabba's pissed off that they left. <laughs> Good. They had left a different jizz band apparently behind them. They're Mm -hmm. like, oh, we're going to have someone else show up. I'm sure he won't notice, but apparently he did. That's the sort of thing Jabba notices when he's being ripped off. Oh, yeah. Jabba's like, this isn't the band that I normally have. What the fuck are you trying to pass off here? I think it was probably Salacious Crumb told him. He's sitting there and... (laughs) (laughs) Wrong Biff! (laughs) No Biff! (laughs) So, anyway, now Jabba's on the warpath, and he's put out a bounty on having them brought back alive. Not because he wants the band back, but because he wants to be the one to kill them. Yeah. I mean, it's Jabba. Yeah. Now, Now, for some reason... Uh, Doik seems to think that they have some time. He's like, yeah, okay, that, that, well, we're probably going to play tomorrow's reception, and then we'll go. Well, I mean, you'd think with Valerian being the main sort of crime rival, that Jabba probably isn't like, oh, I want to start a gang war right now over a band. Yeah. So they're like, okay, as long as we're in the, like, territory of this gang, we're probably fine. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so I guess that's probably true. Although, immediate the, the reception isn't being held in... It's being held at, like, a bar called, like, the Star Room... Oh, it's the Star Room of yeah. the Lucky but, Despot. But the thing is, the Star Room is apparently just an open bar, and anyone can go in there. Because during the actual reception, there's, like, all these random sand gangs that show up. But we'll get there. We're not quite there yet. Well, first, we, we the Star Chamber is where they are setting up for the night and doing a little bit of music. Also, where Figrin just goes fucking bug nuts gambling. And Figrin's one of those weirdos who's got a system. Oh, yeah. He's like, well, I need to seed the tables. I got to lose first. Yeah. Like, lose to a bunch of places. And then, as soon as people think I'm a loser, that's when I rake in the money. I got I mean, I, I guess that might be true in places that are closed gambling events. Like, if you're on a casino on a riverboat. And yeah, like, and you're like, I'm going to be here for a week. I've got to really slow burn it. But how mad are you if you go see the tables and you show up the next day and it's like all new players? Yeah, I'm like, this is the reception for a wedding that you've got maybe two days to do. Mm-hmm. Like, if you go down there and just go, oh, I'm going to gamble and win day one, and then that's it. 
Like, even if you went and gambled day two and still won, it's not like at that point everyone would be like, oh, I know that guy. Yeah, I mean, the idea, I guess, is that he's slow rolling everybody so that they'll bet like idiots around him. But it doesn't seem like it's going to work because, as I'm mentioning, the people in the cantina the next day are different. Yeah. It's like different gangs show up. And it's like uh, none of them are going to be like, hey, there's that guy who I heard lost a lot of money like an idiot yesterday from some dudes who took money off him and are no longer here. Yeah, no, I mean, Figurin's just just a big dumb idiot. Well, he's just a bad gambler. And, you know, he, he, he thinks he has a system. It's just all a bunch of warning signs. Yeah, he needs help. He does. He needs and if he doesn't get it here, he needs to get help somewhere. Yeah, and it, it's a real shame that, you know... Ikebel and Tedden and Nahal and so on aren't stepping up to be a part of this solution here. Well, I mean, Ikebel's getting chased by a headless horseman, and so that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, and Tedden is doing all those talks. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man, that was the joke I had, by the way. <laughs> I didn't have that written down. That was off the top of my head. How mad are you at me I'm right now? So, I'm so angry. You're taking my bits. My bits! <laughs> well, wait until, you, until we get to my one about Tecma Orr's furniture store. <laughs> Uh, good. <laughs> so anyway, he goes, Doik, in this case, goes off to warn Figurin that this shit's going down. And Figurin is immediately like, well, I'm still working my system. I haven't lost enough money yet to start making money. We'll be safe. We just got to stay here and gamble. See? Yeah. So Figurin all of a sudden became like a 30s gangster. Uh-huh. Figurin's always been a 30s gangster. You've heard the kind of music he plays. You know. Yeah. So. Anyway, Doik settles in to kind of hide, keep an eye on the crowd, and try to keep everybody alive throughout what is definitely going to be a bad couple of days. Uh, we can basically cut at this point to the next morning when they set up their, ba- their band to start playing the reception. Uh, at the reception, a whole bunch of random dusty sand gangs come in and start sort of tearfully demanding specific songs. Yeah, well, I mean, I assume that these random gangs are part of Valerian's people. Must be, yeah. So someone pulls on on Figurin's like pant leg and is like, "Hey man, play Tears of Aquana," and he uh, plays whatever that is, and you know they're all like singing along to it with their own lyrics and stuff. Yeah, and, that, and, I mean that's the equivalent for them of someone going up and be like, "Play Gangnam Style." Play I love this bar. <laughs> uh, I love this bar and grill. <laughs> I would love to hear that version of the song. <laughs> hey, it's a restaurant in Vegas. <laughs> so. uh... So they hear their tears of Aquana, and then a rival sand gang comes up and is like, hey, man, play Worm Case for Kami and Fixer, which is an interesting little reference, John, if you didn't know what that is. I didn't, because I don't care about Star Wars. So Kami, uh, Kami and Fixer, Lanauser, are characters who were filmed for Star Wars. Remember when, when Luke says, I want to go to Tashi Station and, and pick up some power converters, and what he really means is, I want to go hang out with my dirtbag friends? Yeah. Kami and Fixer are two of his dirtbag friends. They're also married to each other. They're both, they have the same last name, they're a married couple. Okay. Uh, they were both cast and filmed. Like, there's, scene, there's a scene of them that exists out there that didn't actually make it into A New Hope. Huh. So it's kind of a fun little reference to the two of them. Um, it's weird that it makes it sound like it's, you know, play it for them because they're dead. Well, for me, I felt like it. they were asking it for someone that was in the gang. That's fair. To me, it was like, play this for Kami and Fixer. And I was like, okay, I get it. This is sort of a, these two guys, di- these two people died recently. Uh, that was kind of the feeling I got, but who knows, right? So they play the song, and at this point, Tufts from Jabba's gang start filing in. Yeah, and <laughs> like the way that this ends up playing out is... Like, this would be played with ballroom blitz going on in the background, essentially. Because uh-huh. you you get all of, like, Valerian's people. You get all of, like, Jabba's people start coming in. Yeah, there's, like, definitely a fight brewing. Oh, and, yeah. And eventually, Thwim and E5 route out some of the worst of it. But apparently, this is the thing that gets me. He comes in, the E5 and Thwim, like, sort of, and E5 now has a whole bunch of new weapons strapped to him and a restraining bolt. Uh, but the two of them escort out a bunch of these, like, grimy sand gangs. But Jabba's people are still there. They're hanging out by the bar. And I was like, no, you got to kick those guys out. Those are your problem. (laughs) The guys wearing yay Jabba shirts. Get rid of them. And the... uh, (laughs) They're all wearing leather cuts that say, hell's Jabba's. I like that one of the Jabba people comes up to Dewap when Valerian, like, takes off to go see to a thing. Oh, my God. I love the scene of the two of them arriving, by the way. Oh, the... Valerian and Duop. Yeah, when Valerian and Duop bounce out of some other room and just come in like 300-pound walrus monsters dancing with each other. They're like, ah, ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And then they just sort of sit down. Yeah. It is great. 
But yeah, one of, a, a mouse droid distracts Valerian, and she appa- apparently this is a message for her that she needs to be somewhere. So she gets up and heads to the kitchen, and then, yeah, one of Jabba's men approaches Duwop. And he's like, hey, uh, Jabba really needs a good bounty hunter, and we heard you're great. And I, also, the beginning of this is, hey, man, heard you got real good at hunting, and Duwop immediately is like, I will fucking end you because he thinks he's talking about getting married to Valerian. Uh huh. Yeah. He's like he just grabs this. It's a a duro. Uh, so it, the duros are the gray species. Its head look like Tylenol. With yeah, the and they eyes. they smell like uh, rotting flesh when you open them up. Yeah, uh-huh, that's that's the one. Yeah, duros. <laughs> so so he grabs him by like the, the neck and he's like, "Whoa, you better explain that comment, friend." And he's <laughs> Friendo, like, I am about to fuck your shit up. Yeah, and the guy's like, "No, no, no. We want a good bounty hunter because I work for Jabba and he has a legendary record bounty." Uh, who is who? You should definitely go and kill for the money. And he's like, "Ha ha! Who you want splashed? Who you want me kill?" Yeah. So he's he's rad. It turns out that this Duro is here to try and talk to Wop into bounty hunting uh, Han Solo. Yeah, because this is the story of Han Solo getting yeah. real real fucked up bounty wise. Yes, this is not a good time in Han Solo's life and career. Yeah. Uh, but I, for some reason, he takes the job and he's like, "Great, I'll go kill him right now." And they're like, aren't you at your wedding reception? And he's like, my wife won't mind. Look, we're whippets and it's fine. I'm going to go do some shit. She'll be okay with it. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do what I do. And that's whippet good. <laughs> and so then fucking Valerian comes back before he can. And she starts whipping her hair back and forth. Uh, she's real mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> that was the other joke. <laughs> and then they perform whippet on Broadway. <laughs> Uh, I see where you went there. Yeah, yeah. I was going to try and work, it, work in a Defying Gravity reference, and I just couldn't get there, just so couldn't, I, just, couldn't I just went with the name. <laughs> uh, so they start getting into a brawl, and because they're brawling, everyone else starts brawling. But their brawl is dead serious. Like, Valerian immediately tries to fucking kill her husband, oh, yeah. and he whistles to bring in two random gang members that are loyal to him to help fight her. I know, like, it's so good. Their fight is just immediate and to the death. And everyone else at the wedding's like, well, fuck it, let's go. Yeah, and then the ballroom blitz. And then fucking, like, the Empire shows up and is like, hey, we're here, we're raiding your place. And Doink's like, "Uh, okay, at this point, I have no idea what's going on, because I thought Jabba's guys were here to kill us, but they're just getting into this dumb fight with all these stupid whippets and all these gang members, and and now the Empire. Who called the Empire? How did they even get here? And it's just just a big old blitz. Yeah. Like, (laughs) apparently, Jabba would extort... Valerian to be like, I'll tell you when the Imperial guys are going to come try and raid you because mm-hmm. it's an illegal casino. Yeah. So you can hide your casino stuff and then when they leave, you can start up again. Yeah. They turn into the Lucky Despo, the best damn pet store in town. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Lucky Despo. Despot. Sorry. I had a Colbert thing in my head. <laughs> so any, Anyway. <laughs> no, they just turned the light off on the T. Yeah. It actually is the Lucky Despo. <laughs> The uh, so at that point it is it is time for the band to get while the getting is good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the band's just sort of like, oh, we're figuring down in the mode all notes. Have a good night. Good night, everybody. <laughs> That's been us, everyone. Good night. Yeah. Now, one thing that we didn't mention is that before this all went to shit in the morning of the reception, uh, a random super ugly human dude comes up to talk to Doik. Yeah, and uh, he's like, "Hey there, friend. I hate droids, and I am definitely the bartender from the cantina. <laughs> I I have a clear one definable trait. I hate droids. It's what I do. The other thing about him, and this is woo her, uh, woo her. He's got them all in check. There you go. Just wanted to get that out of the way early, John. Thank you. Uh, woo her is there's a universal way to describe the character of woo her, who's the can- the bartender you actually see in the cantina scene in New Hope, which is that everyone thinks he's the ugliest man they have ever seen, no matter what species they are. Yeah. Everyone. Every single single person is like, God damn, that's an ugly dude. Yeah, these Bith all are identical. They are Once again, they all look like testicles with a butthole in the front. Mm -hmm. And And they're like, like, this guy is nasty. This is a fucked up dude. (laughs) So... So Wooher's like, hey, I like your sound. I really enjoy the, pl- the music. I- he actually like spools off a couple of interesting details. So they're like, hey, this guy's all right. Anyway, the blitz happens. The, uh, the Bith are trying to escape. Uh, <laughs> the Germans are bombing. <laughs> well, the man in the back said everyone attack, and it turned into a ballroom Bith. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there it is. There's the joke. I think ballroom Bith might be the name of the episode. But uh, <laughs> Okay. So they start trying to kind of sneak out and escape, but there's way too many blasters going off and everything. Uh, Doik sees his friend Thwim and is like, hey, Thwim, you got to help us. 
And Thwim, for whatever reason, just starts shooting at them. Oh, yeah. Thwim is having anyone who gets near him. He's like, I'm just going to put you down. Yeah. If you start walking towards me, I will end you. Yeah. I, I, for a second, I thought maybe Thwim was in on Jabba's bounty for the band. And so he was like, ah, the band. Perfect. I can kill them while no one's looking. But no, he's basically just killing anyone who gets yeah. near him. Yeah, that's, that is what's happening. Ah, the band. Well, what if I were to kill the band and submit them as my own bounty? Ho, ho, ho. Delightfully devilish Thwim. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, uh, they get away from Thwim. Uh, instead, E522 is willing to help them escape. So yeah. he leads them to the kitchen where there's a hole that they can get out from. Yeah. Uh, and they they manage to also help Wooher get out as well. So this is kind of neat. When they get to the kitchen, they find the way out, but Wooher's standing there, and they're, and they're, and uh, E5 immediately spins on Wooher, and, and Doik's like, no, dude, don't. He's he's. I know he looks like most Islak, but he's actually a helpful human bartender. <laughs> uh, so don't don't kill him. And E5's like, I like you, but I don't work for you, and starts shooting at Wooher. Wooher no hates droids so much that he like professionally hates droids, and so he calls out the way to kill a droid with a fizz. Yeah, he's like, I need you to play at this range, yeah. increasing in volume, and just play this. And he plays that on the fizz until it ends up vibrating the restraining bolt to the point that it shuts him down. Yeah. I love Wooher at this point has been established firmly in my mind as a man who hates droids so much that at any given time, he knows a hundred ways to kill any droid he sees. Oh, yeah. He yeah. hates every droid he sees. <laughs> From CP C3PA to C3PZ. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, so basically after the restraining bolt shuts down, so does E5. He just sort of stops working. Wooher escorts the band outside. And once they're out there, there's a little more brawling and fighting and so on. But he's like, hey, guys, come with me. I'll help you. And they're like, but there's a huge bounty on our head. We can't and we don't have any money because our idiot band leader gambled it all away because he was seeding the tables. Yeah, all all that we had in reserve is now gone. This is why you don't seed tables. In addition to all of the shit that we left at Jabba's palace so that we could leave in a hurry. Yeah, so these guys have their 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 Dieter outfits. And they also have, they have um, like a change of clothes and their instruments, and that's like it. And most of them don't even have the cases for their instruments. Yeah. But Wooher's like, don't worry, I'm not trying to take you to a safe house for money. I think I have a job for you guys. And we get our first introduction to a character that you've never heard of if you haven't read this book. Uh, Greedo. Because, uh, <laughs> Greedo. <laughs> well, uh, a character who apparently does not shoot first. That's uh, what we. That's... A, a character that most people you you know blink and you'd miss it. Yeah, really, no one no one recognizes Greedo. He's famous. For nothing. He is an unknown. Uh, but no, he, he, we're talking about Chalmun. Chalmun is the person who owns the Mos Eisley Cantina. Which Cantina. is weird. He's the he's the Wookiee. Now, this leads me curious to see if Akmena is going to get mentioned in this book, because she's the other employee of the Cantina that I know of. Akmena is B. Arthur's character in the Holiday Special. Ah, okay. <laughs> I'm going to assume this book doesn't reference the Holiday Special. I very strongly considered doing Akmena for today's bonus content, because I was like, okay, this is about Wooher and Chalma, and this won't have Akmena. But then I was like, but what if she does show up? But what if? I don't I were to purchase fast... <laughs> I gotta stop doing that. <laughs> you gotta. I gotta stop doing that, John. Um, so, so yeah, I, I decided against doing Akmena eventually, but uh, okay, so he's like, come help me meet Chalmun, and uh, we'll see if we can get you guys a band. And that's, you know, we, we move directly into Denouement, because it's a short story. Yeah. So the band gets the job. They're working every night at, at uh, Chalmun's uh, Cantina, where they play six songs in a, in a set, and they always have an eye out for Jabba. And wouldn't you know it, there's a Greedo in the room, and no one likes him. Yeah, there's Greedo. We know that he works for Jabba. Mm -hmm. So we're keeping our eyes on him. Both eyes. The end. The end. So that's that's the story of Figrin Don and the modal nodes. Really more the story of Doik Nats. Them Donk Nudes. Doik Nats and his friends, which again, unfortunately, the chapter does not end with them meeting another Bith who's like, hi there, I'm Lear and Karn. Hi there. Hi there. <laughs> I'm Lear and Karn. I've been here the whole time. I see y'all have a clue horn player. I'm a clue horn player myself. Uh, I, I'm... I would like to join you, though. Could I be a backup clue horn player? Yeah, sure. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Do you play sabak? <laughs> I do, but I don't own my instrument because I'm so bad at sabak. <laughs> all I have is all these credits and a terrible sabak hand. All I have is so much money. <laughs> Let's see what I've got in my sabak hand. I've got the fool, a three, a receipt for a box of tampons <laughs> I did not buy. <laughs> yeah. 
There you go. And that card that's the instructions for how to play Sabak. What is this hand? <laughs> All right. It turns out in Sabak, that's a winning hand. <laughs> yeah, it's called the Royal Sampler. I So, I um, that's the end of the chapter. What do you think, John? Uh, really well written. Way better than what we've read so far. Uh-huh. I was actually excited by this. For a story that is not about blasters, lightsaber, Jedi, Han Solo, or anything, I loved the story of these random bith. Yeah, it was great. So, so that's a great start, but hey, tune in next week when I'm sure it all goes horribly wrong. And I mean, get- it has to at some point. I mean, oh, yeah. you've got this many different authors. Mm-hmm. There's got to be at least a few nuggets in here that are just like, ooh, nah. Well, I don't know, John. The next book is, and I'm going to give it away now, The Tale of Greedo. Oh, no. Greedo. So, so who knows what, we, what we're looking forward to. Do you think the Greedo story is going to be rad or stupid? Who? Well, we'll find out next week. I'm really hoping that the entire story is like, boy, howdy, I love my family. I hope no one shoots me. <laughs> <laughs> I've read it, and... Here's the thing. It I, is. I, and here's the thing. That is the whole story. For the most part, yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm Greedo, and I love shooting second. Boy, howdy. Me, Greedo, sometimes I'll shoot, but I don't really mean it. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows I don't mean it, and they don't shoot me. That's why I don't hit people, even when I'm right across the table from them. I'm a friendly Greedo. No, I just want to give them a nice little warning shot, let them know I mean business, but I'm a friendly bounty hunter. Here I am. I'm doing friendly bounty hunting. Hey, Han Solo, you're you're friends with me, right? Boy, howdy, I've got a kid at home that needs to get fed. Ooh-wee. <laughs> and then shot. Yeah. So, so actually, it's a very fascinating story about Greedo. We'll get to that next week. Otherwise, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to our little Biff venture. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, for coming along on this little journey of uh, ours. Yeah, it was a wonderful time. So, uh, as always, they've been the uh, Expounded Universe podcast, where we review old Star Wars podcast novel <laughs> times, and... Uh, one of our narrative things we do that we don't that we think. Uh, th- yep, yep. <laughs> there it is. There's the Biff, and uh, <laughs> you really got to commit to the Biff. <laughs> commit to the Biff. <laughs> yeah. So, as always, you can find us at SystemMasteryPodcast.com or System Mastery on Gmail, Facebook, Reddit, or Twitter. Get into all kinds of Star Wars conversations with us. Obviously, we, a couple of huge assholes, have all the answers. Obviously, now. Of course, if you want to listen to us butcher even more Star Wars stuff, we've got our Patreon. And for the low, low, ridiculously low price of, of 3,000 credits, $2 million, $2 <laughs> per episode, which ends up being, that's an episode of System Mastery, because when Jeff set this up, it was dumb, but you end up paying about $4 a month. I, I had a very good reason for what I was doing. I wasn't being greedy. My literal thought- No, the, the reason is you were dumb. No, I, I was. I was dumb. I was being short-sighted, and I apologize for that. But my reason originally for setting it up for per episode instead of per month was because I thought that you and I would be lazy enough to not release content for various months, in which case I didn't want us to get paid for doing nothing. Yeah. And what, but, it, what happened instead is it's the only thing in the world ever that the two of us have ever committed to. Oh, yeah. Individually or together. Yeah, it is the only thing that has ever happened in either one of our lives that we're like, yeah, this is this is me committed to it completely and utterly. I will never miss anything. Yeah, so now we're trapped by, by a decision I made because I thought that I would be slacking off, <laughs> what, six years ago almost? Yeah, no. This six, podcast isn't ten, even six years ten, old. Ten years ago? Twenty years ago when was I was it, born? Was, yeah, it was... Uh, 1918 uh, New York let me set the scene for you John <laughs> the year 1875 horses clabble across clabble across the cobblestones <laughs> clabble across the cobblestones <laughs> so if you want more quality content like that if you support us at $2 then you get all of the bonus content every single week for Star Wars you also get at that level all of the bonus content for System Mastery and you help us. You help Jeff. You help me. Yeah, you're going to you pay for my Jeff's, speech therapy. You help Jeff's soon-to-be-born baby. My young, young daughter, who is currently negative a month and a half old. Yeah, soon she will grow up. And do you want to be the one that tells Jeff's young daughter that, I'm sorry, you aren't allowed to eat this month because I don't want to give System Mastery money? <laughs> oh, come on. Don't lay it on so thick. Hold on. I got a, I got a real big spoonful of this coming. So <laughs> there she is, tears in her eyes. She Horses says, crabbling across the cobblestones. She says to her dad, she says, all I want is to be a science woman. And then 
Jeff has to say, I'm sorry, you gotta settle for just working for the man your whole life. And she says, I don't want to work for the man. I want to break that glass ceiling. And then Jeff says, I'm sorry, we don't got the Patreon money for that. And now you've ruined another young girl's life. Is that what you want, listeners? Listeners, let it be known that I am not making this particular push. But yes, we are very quick. <laughs> but we, he is one hundred percent accurate. Yes. I, I am expecting a daughter extraordinarily soon. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening. Hold and on, for there's your- some more in this jar. Let me just get out the rest of this and lay it on a little thicker. <laughs> Picture Jeff's daughter on her deathbed. Picture, if you will, sepia tone. <laughs> the year 2044. <laughs> the year 2019. Jeff on his deathbed. <laughs> Oh, man. Aw. Guys, aw. <laughs> the year is 2046. Space horses, space crobble across the clabblestones. Oh, <laughs> uh, God. What are we even doing here? <laughs> We're saying thank you so much for listening. I'm Elan Sleesbagano. That Patreon, by the way, is patreon.com slash systemmastery. And I love death sticks. Death sticks.